You're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Hello and welcome to the program. Are you tired? Is your life a little stale? If you thought yes to either of those questions, too embarrassed to even say it out loud, let me assure you you're not alone. We're wealthier but sadder than generations before us, so what are we doing wrong? Tonight we join Dr. Corbett for a series of discussions he's titled A Journey Through the Psalms as he seeks to discover the keys to enriching your life. Let's pray as we open up God's wonderful, totally reliable and trustworthy word. Father, we invite you now to speak to us through your word. There are those within the sound of my voice who are facing things that through the course of the next 30 minutes or so, you're going to speak to and address to the very heart of through your word. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you want us to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Psalm 16 verse 11 talks about how we can know happiness and joy. It talks about how we can know pleasure forevermore. And as we look at this issue of enriching our lives, as we're enriching our lives and discovering the secrets of true happiness, as we journey through the Psalms, I love the Psalms. The Psalms are essentially a book of prayer that were written as songs. And as we, as we read these Psalms, if we, if we can read these Psalms and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us and to allow them to enter into our spirit, I believe we can become stronger to the point where our lives are full of life so that we're enjoying life. And as we read in Psalm 16 verse 11, it says that you will show me the path of life. You know, there are many people who are trying to live life by themselves. They're trying to figure this out by themselves. And as I shared with you, you know, recently I was on a bus in, in Perth and I discovered, you know, all kinds of people getting onto the bus and some of them just opening up to complete strangers about the mess their lives were in. It was absolutely intriguing to hear not only the, the, the mess you could actually make of a life, but then how willingly you could share that mess around. Well, this morning, maybe your life is in a mess. And I know that through God's help, you can turn your mess into a message, a message of God's goodness. So I'd like you to turn to Psalm 10. Turn to Psalm 10, because we're going to just draw out from this psalm right now. And before we do, I remember hearing the story of um, a prisoner who was imprisoned in a, uh, several hundred years ago, uh, or a couple of hundred years ago, rather, in a European jail. And in the jail, all he had for his, during his life sentence was a Bible. That's all he had. And uh, when eventually he died, the, the prison officials found that on the, the wall of the prison, uh, of course, you know, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year after year after year of the 40 or 50 years he just spent in this one cell with just a Bible, uh, he, he had very limited activity uh, and, and outlet for activity. And so he wrote down a number of things. And as we look at this, I'm, I'm reminded 
of what Jesus said in Matthew 13, where, according to the Message Bible, it says this, I, this is what Jesus said, I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. And this was it. Your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. Matthew 13, verse 14. Well, I don't want that to be said of us. I want us to have ears that do hear, eyes that do see, and a mind that is open to the Spirit of God today. You know, as this prisoner was taken out of his, his cell, they found things like this written on the wall of his, of his uh, cell. It, says, it said this, uh, books of the Bible, 66. Books of the Old Testament, 39. Books in the New Testament, 27. Middle book of the Old Testament, Proverbs. Middle book of the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians. Uh, uh, verses uh, in the Old Testament, 23,214. In the New Testament, 7,959. Middle verse of the Bible, Psalms, 118, verse 8. Middle verse of the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. Middle verse of the New Testament. Am I going too fast here if you're taking notes? I don't want you to take notes about this. I want to make a point about this in a moment. Middle verse of the New Testament, Acts 17, verse 17. Shortest verse in the Old Testament is 1 Chronicles 1, 25. Shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept, John 11.35. Longest verse in the Bible, Esther 8.9. Verse containing all letters of the alphabet except J. Ezra chapter 7 verse 21. Verse containing all letters of the alphabet except Q. Daniel chapter 4 verse 37. Verses most alike, Psalm 107 verse 8, verse 15, verse 21. And in the entire Bible, there are... Uh, 1,189 chapters, uh, Old Testament 929, New Testament 260, middle chapter of the Old Testament, Job 29, middle chapter of the New Testament, Romans 13, middle and shortest chapter of the Bible, Psalm 117, longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, chapters that are most alike, and so on. And in the Old, Test in the, uh, in the Old Testament, there are 592,000 439 words. In the New Testament, there are 181,253 words. And on and on this went, etched on the wall of the prison cell. You know, the, the interesting thing is that that prisoner never gave his life to Christ. Can you imagine spending an entire life in prison and all you can see are the facts? You know, it's possible to hear the facts and never understand the truth. All those things are factually correct. But it's th those in themselves are not the truth that will transform your life. And I hope and I pray that today you're going to hear some truth that will transform your life. I don't have too many interesting facts to share with you, but I hope we've got a dose of truth to transform your life. Well, Psalm 10, if you've ever read some of the Psalms and thought, what the heck was that all about? There are, there are lots and lots of people who read Psalms and think, well, what on earth is that all about? 
And then, of course, there are some people that read Psalms like the one we're about to read, and we're going to think, oh boy, that wasn't a good hair day. This was a, somebody took their grumpy pills. Uh, this is a psalm that, that doesn't... Sort, you know, here we are saying that you can find the secrets to true happiness. And then there are psalms like this psalm, Psalm 10. Now, I must have read this psalm in, in uh, you know, this week leading up to this some 50 times. At least 50 times. I've checked it out in about eight different translations. I haven't quite memorized the psalm. I'm nearly there. And uh, the more I look at it, the more it just, it just keeps reading the same. And it, it, you just think, boy, somebody somewhere was having a hard time now some scholars because you'll you'll notice in your bible sometimes there's a little like header and it says uh, to the choir master according to whatever and uh, then it might say a psalm of david or it might say a psalm of the sons of korah or it might say you know a psalm of moses or something like that and psalm 10 doesn't say that at all there's no music instructions to it i could imagine that the the choir master got this psalm and thought, well, what am I supposed to do with that? It's just downright depressing. This is one of those psalms that's not going to cheer anyone up and he probably didn't even bother putting music to it. I don't know, it's my, my imagination running wild a bit there. But we, there, there's a, a, a good deal of speculation that in fact Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 were originally one psalm. And in their wisdom, when the chapters and the psalms were divided up in about the 1500s, somebody said, now look, this is actually quite a different theme. And, and I would have to agree with um, the person that did that. But if, if Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 were once the same psalm, I want you to notice how Psalm 9 starts. <coughs> psalm 9 is a great psalm. Psalm 9 is a high-energy psalm. Psalm 9 is one of those psalms that, that makes you want to do the Toyota jump. Psalm 9 is a, is a psalm of rejoicing. It's a, it's a psalm of victory. And, and we see it starts off and it says it's of David. And David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And it goes on. And uh, in verse 7, it declares, The Lord sits enthroned forever. He, he has established his throne for justice. Verse 8, he judges the world with righteousness, the people with uprightness. Verse 11 is almost like a therefore. And verse 11 says, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. This is a good day for whoever wrote this psalm. And if it's true that Psalm 10 was also written by David, and in fact originally perhaps the second half of Psalm 9, isn't it interesting that the same person that could say, isn't life great? Isn't life just so much worth giving thanks to God for? Isn't life great? Come on, sing praises to God. And then in chapter uh, Psalm 10 he goes, oh, what is the point? God, where are you when I need you? Why, O oh Lord, do you stand afar off? Isn't that interesting? I find that interesting because I have ups and downs too. I find it interesting that not only do the Psalms describe ups and downs, sometimes those very ups and downs are written by the same person the one who can have the most ecstatic experience of life and all its fullness. 
can in the next in the next psalm be crying out god why do you seem so far away and then throughout this psalm he begins to question did i get it wrong is there really a god isn't that amazing and so you know as we we perhaps declare that through the psalms we're going to find what psalm 16 verse 11 says that is the path of life we're going to find the way we should live we're going to find the way we can find true and lasting happiness now i was brought up in a a church background where happiness was frowned upon christians were not allowed to be happy christians were not supposed to be happy and they did that very well they practiced what they preached and the songs were um, very dirgy songs. I mean, literally dirgy. And uh, the, the whole thing was made as boring as, and as subdued as you could possibly make it. One day, of course, that whole, all got messed up when a fellow by the name of um, uh, John Chapman from Sydney came down to our church and he messed with everyone's head. He was the Bishop of Sydney at the time and he was actually in love with Jesus. And it was quite a shock. The first time I'd been to church in all my life and I actually met somebody who was in love with Jesus. And it began to radically transform the way I thought, even as a young person. But here we have the whole book of Psalms, which which it promises will open up the path of life to us. It will open up true and lasting happiness to us. And then we read something like this. So I, I, I pose the question, you know, how could I possibly be happy at a time like this? Maybe you've had moments like that. Don't talk to me about happiness. You don't possibly know what I'm going through right now. Don't talk to me about the joy of the Lord. Where was God when I needed him? I prayed and nothing happened. Don't you tell me God's a good God. Well, if those are the thoughts that have come into your head, can I charge you with plagiarism? Can I charge you with having stolen someone else's prayer? Psalm 10. It says, why, Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked, verse 2, hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. Verse 3, for the wicked boasts. Of the, of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. Verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Verse 5, his ways prosper at all times. Other translations have, he seems to succeed at whatever he does. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, He puffs at them. I want you to notice something from verse 6. I want to show you this. And I want to show you as we pause just here that in many respects this psalm has started off despairing. This psalm has started off with a real heartache. Do you hear the heartache in what might be David saying, God, I needed you And God, quite frankly, it feels like you've let me down. God, it seems like you're standing off out of the game and I needed you in the game. 
But God, I know I must have it wrong. This is the heart of a worshipper. Remember, all of these psalms are prayers set to song. They are meant to be vehicles of worship. David was a worshipper. David, the Bible says, had a heart after God because he was a worshipper. Hear the heart of the worshipper. Even when things go wrong, the heart of the worshipper says, God, I'm going to worship you. It might seem like you've got it wrong, but as a worshipper worshipping you, the created, worshipping the creator, I know I must have it wrong. And this I know about you, God, that there are people out there who are my enemies and they seem to be getting the better of me right now. They seem to be succeeding. But God, I've known this about you, that that's never the end of the story. That's never how you end it. And God, I know that there are people out there that are doing all kinds of wicked things, exploiting the poor. Might we say in our society there are people who are exploiting the poor? Can we look at our society and sometimes it's very, very difficult to see who's exploiting the poor. Can I tell you that there are government-funded or government-supported industries that exploit the poor? You know, there are, there are thousands of people in our community and in our society that are being exploited in their poverty right now through gambling. You ever thought of gambling? I don't mean buying a raffle ticket or stuff like that. I was brought up to think that you go to hell if you bought a raffle ticket. <laughs> then I realised it had nothing to do with theology. It had everything to do with just being a bunch of cheapskates. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, some kid comes rattling up with a bunch of raffle tickets and a tin. And even now within me, it's this instant response, you know, because of my church early background, no, I'm a Christian, you know, and they're after a 50 cent raffle ticket, saying, no, you're going to hell, I'm not. <laughs> I realise, what an, what an arrogant, arrogant fool I've been for withholding a dollar or two from the Diabetes Foundation. I saw the diabetes selling raffle tickets. The other day I was in paying a bill and I saw diabetes, Tasmania, Australia, is it? Is your salvation secure? Are you allowed to do that kind of stuff? So, Diabetes Australia want to exploit poor people like me. No, I'm kidding. No, I really am kidding about raffle tickets. But there is a whole bunch of people who are addicted to poker machines. They're addicted to gambling. And we hear the stories, you know, where they, they, unbeknown to their spouse, they go and take out a second mortgage on their home and they lose all that as well. And man, they end up in a financial mess. Now, sometimes... We, we, you know, we go into these things and we just think, oh, it's, you know, it's creating an industry. It's good for the economy and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes we need to get like the psalmist and go, God, this isn't right. So there's a real despairing. But I want to show you that this psalmist goes from despair and will finish up at the end of this psalm in delight. And that's where I want us to end up as well. You may have walked in here today despairing. I want you to walk out of here delighting. I want you to walk out of here. If you, were, if you were at the start of this time together, despairing and down, I want you to walk out absolutely delighted in your God 
to know that there is no God like your God, that God can do anything. There is nothing impossible for our God. Our God is a good God and we can take delight in him despite the circumstances. So from verse 6, see if you can follow this. I like, um, as a preacher, putting things together in a way that helped me to memorize things. It's interesting, the so did the psalmist. You know, this psalm is actually what's called an acrostic. This psalm, each of the verses of this psalm start with the, the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You ever tried writing a, a poem or, a, or something, you know, A, B, C, D, all the way through? Pretty clever. Well, that's what this psalmist has done. Well, I'm not that clever, but what I have done is broken up from verse 6 to verse 18 into five Ds. In verse 6, I've called this highlighting the deluded. Listen to the deluded. Verse 6, he says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. In other translations, put it this way, nothing will ever go wrong for me. That's deluded that is deluded verse 7 the delusion continues he fills his mouth with cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue a mischief and iniquity he sits in ambush in the villages in hiding places he murders the innocent his eyes stealthily watch for the helpless he lurks in ambush like a lion in, in his thicket he lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his, uh, by his might. Now verse 11, I call this the despair. Listen to the despair. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. He'll never see it. God has forgotten me. Boy, that's about as despairing as you can get. We read on verse 12. Listen to what the psalmist says in commentating on this. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Now, verse 13. The psalmist now says, not only are they deluded, not only are they despairing, but they're also in denial. Listen to the denial. Verse 13. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? See, the wicked says, not only, not only is there no God, because if, he, if there was a God, he would make himself known to me, which is pretty arrogant. He says, I can do whatever I want, because ultimately, if I don't hurt anybody else doesn't matter as long as nobody finds out or nobody else that i don't want to get hurt gets hurt it's okay if there is a god he's too weak to even notice or take any care he, he, he wouldn't see what i do a denial that god will actually hold each one of us accountable some of us have got a very small concept of god we think he's not much better than us but the god that this psalmist is worshipping is a God who knows everything about us. 
He came. He, he manifested through his son on the earth. And, and Jesus made it very clear that he knew everyone. And John says that he didn't need anybody to tell him what was in the heart of the person he was talking to because he knew exactly what they were thinking and what they were about to say. Wow. And later on, the Psalms will tell us that God knows the very words we're about to speak even before we speak them. He knows all six billion, whatever, whatever, whatever number of people there are on the earth. He's big enough to do that. An awesome God. Well, verse 14, But you do see, says the psalmist, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You've been the helper of the fatherless or the father of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Just make a comment here where it says, break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Some of us could read that and go, oh, that sounds a bit nasty. And it does and it is. It's what's called an imprecatory psalm. I just like saying that. Imprecatory. Here's the word for today. Imprecatory. Children, if you don't put your toys away, mummy's going to become imprecatory. It means that the psalmist is actually expressing how they honestly feel almost in violent language. Mummy might become very imprecatory if you don't do it now. So imprecatory is where out of your heart you just let it out and it's, it's God faithfully inspiring the recording of what's in the psalmist's heart. Have you ever felt like, oh God, if ever there was a time when you changed your mind about sending lightning down and frazzling someone, not only would now be the good time, I've got the ideal candidate for you. You ever felt like that? About your pastor? No? Good. We'll continue on. Sometimes we do. We, we have these angry thoughts and we think, Oh, God, come on. Back me up a bit here, God. At least let the air out of their tyres or something. Imprecatory. It's where... And, and, and we, as you read through the Psalms, you're going to read a bit of that. You're going to read where one of the psalmists says, after they were taken from Judah to Babylon, he says, God, take their children, take them by the legs, and smash their... Anyway, I don't want to... It's in there. Now... Here's where, in verse 16, the psalmist now makes a declaration. So we've got verse 6, deluded. Verse 11, despairing. Verse 13, denial. Verse 16, the declaration. Here's the declaration. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear Look, I love this word, the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Wow. I call verse 17 the delight of the psalmist. See, the, the psalmist is now taking delight in God. The psalmist now not only says, God... 
I know that all of this stuff that I don't understand and I just don't get why you don't just do something about it right now, I don't get that, God, but I know you will because I'm a worshipper and I know that you're a God of justice. I know that you'll deal with this. But God, that's not all I know. I know that no matter what they do, you'll hold them accountable for. I'm not accountable for them. And God, while they do whatever they do, right now I'm just going to worship you and I'm going to let the desire of my heart be toward you. I'm going to take delight in you. Wow. That's what I want in my heart. And I think that's one of the keys to lasting and true happiness. When you can get your eyes off others and onto the God who wants to grant you, according to Psalm 37 verse 4, the desires of your heart as you delight in him. Verse 18, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. They strike terror no more. Well, what do, we, what do we learn? What's a couple of things we can pick up from this psalm? I hope that you can see that here we have the psalmist saying, man, I'm battling away. They just seem to have it easy. It just seems like they've got it easy. It just seems like everything they do prospers. And God, quite frankly, I think that sucks. God, I'm not at all impressed. But God, I know I must have it wrong. Because I know you don't reward that kind of stuff. Even though it looks like, even though it looks like they're living as if they don't care two hoots about you, even though they're living like well, if there's a God, why doesn't he stop me from my, you know, bad behaviour? I know that that's probably what they're thinking and saying, and I know that it won't last. I know you'll get them. I know you'll get them. So God, I just let go of that. And maybe for some of us, it's a past relationship. Maybe for some of us, we need to get our eyes off. Somebody that seems to be doing well and somebody that seems to be getting blessed. Just let it go. And now begin to delight yourself in God. So here's, here's a thought. Your happiness does not depend on others. It doesn't depend on whether someone is being blessed or cursed. Sometimes I think there would be a lot more happy Christians if there are a lot more cursed non-Christians. Told you if you didn't accept Christ, your life would be miserable. <laughs> now I'm happy. <laughs> I don't think that's the way God wants us to operate. Sometimes we think it's up to somebody else to make us happy. But the psalmist here is in the midst of a terrible time. He's in a very testing time. And I like that saying, turn your test into a testimony. Get your eyes off the test and get it onto God. Turn your test into a testimony. Of God's goodness. What else can we learn? I find it interesting that the psalmist, especially if it was David, if it was David, if it was David while he was king, if it was, he actually had the power to do something about these people. He had the power to do it. But if he wasn't king, he may have just still been, you know, a warrior. 
as a warrior, he had some power. But I find it interesting that he didn't take matters into his own hands. You know, I was reading through the, the Old Testament story of Abram and Sarai, where they were promised a child, and the child hadn't you know, come through Sarai. So Sarai says, well, okay, I suppose we'll have to do something about it. Here, take Hagar. She took matters into her own hands and kind of messed things up a lot. And the psalmist here is saying, for me to be happy means that I've got to trust God. Just let it go. Trust God. You don't have to take matters into your own hands in order to be happy. In fact, can I suggest to you that this psalm implies you do the opposite. This psalm implies, let it go. Give it up. Trust God. Let's pray. Father, there are some now within the sound of my voice who don't know you. They've never been saved. They've never given their life to you. Father, we know this day around the world, this day, some 200,000 people have just given their lives to Christ. There is a worldwide movement of people turning to you. Father, I pray that for everyone within the sound of my voice who's never joined that movement of turning to you, that they would sign up today, that they would return to you, that they would come and say, God, I want to know you. Now, Father, right now I pray for those who are battling in certain areas. I pray, Lord, that you would turn them from despair to delight. That, Lord, no matter what the situation they're finding, no matter what the situation they're facing, no matter what their need, whether it be physical, material, spiritual or emotional or relational, that right now, in Jesus' name, you would cause them to have a heart of worship that they might delight in you. And according to Psalm 37, verse 4, you will grant those who delight in you the desires of their heart. So, Father, I pray that we might all Surrender completely to you. The secret to happiness. Have you been distracted by the enemy? If you're feeling like God's a long way away, perhaps your perspective is a little fuzzy. God is in fact just a prayer away. Dr. Corbett continues his journey through the Psalms next week. If you'd like to purchase a CD copy of tonight's program to listen again in your own time or to refer to a friend, you can do so for $5.50, including postage and handling. Finding Truth Matters resources are available from the website, www.findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting Lagana Media at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. Just quote the program title, Journey Through the Psalms, Session 2. If you'd like to subscribe to Finding Truth Matters monthly e-newsletter perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett is produced by Lagana Media and we look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.